1: From the Anteup headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anteup PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long.
0: It's March 17th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza,
2: And I'm Commissioner-elect Scott Long. <laughs> Which
0: sucks because,
2: well, that doesn't suck, that's awesome, but it's it's St. Patrick's Day. So, it would have been better to say, hey, and I'm your favorite leprechaun, Scott. Long. <laughs> but I, I can't fit both in.
0: Oh, you just did.
2: <laughs> you could have done it. Well, you know, the other thing, too, is is that I, I finally got out of the show notes last night because, you know, it's kind of occupied this week. But, yeah. And I'm like, man, we've been had such a dearth of poker news lately. I'm like, am I going to have to come up with some more kind of stupid banter to start the show with like we have? And in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, St. Patrick's Day, that's an opportunity. Maybe we could do a show about. What we think how we how well we think leprechauns would play poker. Or the fact that all poker tables are green and St. Patrick's Day is green. That's how desperate I was getting before I actually went to the news and found some stuff. That's not silly and stupid like that, but
0: I got a question for you now. Uh so are you gonna change your favorite football team now or to the San Francisco? Are you gonna move to San Francisco? Is your favorite poker hand now 4-9 off-suit? I'm just curious because apparently you won this race by 49 votes. Are we going to have to call 4-9 the Scott Long now when we're playing at your house and playing Oh, Holden? you know what?
2: I like that. Uh, suited
0: 4-9. Cause I'm suited a 4-9. Yeah, that's right. You're suited. I was going to say it has to be suit, of course. <laughs> but, I mean, that is a crazy number to win that election by 49 votes.
2: Uh, it was uh, Yeah, so any of you out there, you're like, eh, I don't need a vote. My vote doesn't count it does
0: it does count it does now
2: you're that gonna miss our cruise of, uh, yeah that was out of uh more than four thousand votes cast too by the way Wow. so, so i mean Pays there were some door elections door. on tuesday that uh, people got 40 actually got 44 votes i <laughs> won by 49 so wow. but yeah so it put it in perspective out of four forty three hundred votes or something that was uh it was a nail-biter to to <clears throat> be cliche
0: should I call you Michael Chickless now? <laughs> the commish. Uh,
2: it took me forever trying to figure out where the whole San Francisco references were. coming
0: I know. That's a. I don't. I don't understand how you missed that. The Forty ers Forty nine <laughs> votes. Because when
2: I went in, I thought I won. It was fifty two votes. So I lost three votes somewhere else along the way. So in my mind, <laughs> I still won
0: by fifty two votes. <laughs> So probably Laura didn't vote for you. That's where one of the votes went, and then
2: I, I had to work hard on that vote right up to election day.
0: So. Oh man, yeah, I so, believe it.
2: Yeah, uh, but there is a uh, poker tie-in to this whole election that I'm sure our voters are sick. Of. I mean, our voters. Look at that. I'm still in <laughs> vote That our uh, listeners are sick of hearing about, but uh, but so it was election day, and. Um, very fortunate, I think this is a great thing uh for all of our listeners, uh and particularly those in America how contentious this November election was, right right uh to know that I had three opponents, which is crazy in itself um but we ran a completely positive, clean campaign. there was never any attack ads, there was never any attack words shared. Um, everybody uh, held out everybody in great respect and we just said what we wanted to do and let the voters decide so there is still hope for our country and our world that uh, people can get together and run an election without it uh, you know being nasty right yeah and so evidence of this was that uh, you know one of my opponents I've known for a while she's my Facebook friend uh, very awkward having to run against somebody like that but, uh, but super nice and um so on election day, you know, where I was shuttling around from polling places, you know, doing the little the Liberty tax impression, twirling <laughs>
0: stuff, right? Right, right.
2: And um, so as at one polling place, uh, one of my opponents, uh, this very nice woman, was across the street from me twirling her sign. And so I walked over and gave her a hug and, and told her, hey, you know, good luck, but not too much, um, which <laughs> turns out was a perfect thing to say. Right? Yes, like, yes. She was the one that I uh, beat by 49 votes. And uh, she told me the same. And then she's like, Scott, I was at a um, a book sale the other day, and I saw a couple books that made me think of you. And she literally, Chris, pulled out this bag that she had with her because she knew she was going to run into me uh, that Mm -hmm. day and uh, pulled out two poker books and gave them to me. And one of them, I can't make this up, is titled Anti-Up with an exclamation point.
0: No way.
2: It is by Ursula Michael. And it's uh six ninety five, and actually what it is, is um, cross-stitch uh, patterns. Oh. Uh, like cards and kings and jacks. And oh, wow. Things like that. Now, obviously, I don't do any cross-stitch, but I do have friends that do, so I'm going to pass that down to them. Um, and another one was called uh, Read em and uh, Weep, and uh, it looks like a kind of a novel thing, but it has the... Um, uh, the famous dogs playing poker painting on the
0: front. Oh, nice Coolidge. Yeah. Well, that's cool.
2: Oh, yeah, this is an awesome thing. Yeah. Not only did we were able to run a, a great, clean, uh, positive campaign, but on election day, we had one of the other candidates thinking of me um, enough to uh, to give me a gift, and I fell back because I didn't have anything for her. So, um, and obviously, I feel worse at night because. Okay.
0: Peace. So listen, we we've had uh, we've had people who've worked for us. Or written for us, or whatever, come to us and say, "Hey, look, uh, I got this new job, and you know, they're telling me that they don't want me to be affiliated at all with any kind of gambling or or anything like that. So I, I can't do the column anymore. That kind of stuff's happened in the past. So if somebody came to you and said, like the mayor said, you know what, Scott, you know, you're really an asset to our, you know, our our, our commission, and blah, blah blah blah, and but you know what, this this is just a negative thing. I I, I can't have you." I can't have you on the... on the, I need you to resign or give up, Annie up. What would you do?
2: Uh, Laugh at you for coming up with the question that's never going to happen. <laughs>
0: hey, you never know, uh, man. You're talking about how it's such a friendly you election. Tell
2: that you're the media in an election. We're coming up with scenarios... These are fake Don't stories. ...that are just baiting, yes. Fake <laughs> fake stories. <laughs> uh, but no, to that point, I mean, uh, you know, I I told people... um throughout this campaign that I was incredibly appreciative um, that, uh, you know, obviously I didn't want to run without asking you because, you know, something could happen to the company in some fa- form or fashion, and, and you were very um, excited for me, so that that meant a lot to me. Um, but one of my concerns was that, you know, and we talk about this on the show, right, a lot, that uh, poker doesn't have the best reputation in everybody's minds right um and uh it was I was curious as to whether it, it would come up in the campaign or anything like that now obviously by saying that we were all super positive uh, uh it's, I'm happy to report that it never did uh that doesn't mean it won't now that I won now there's gonna be more you know focus on me and decisions I'm actually making in public rather than just what I'm saying on the campaign trail so we'll see what happens but uh I've been very happy that it, it hasn't been an issue um and, uh, you know, I try not to make it an issue as well, too, you know, when, when people ask me what I did for a living, I told them I used to be a journalist, which is probably the worst thing to say.
1: <laughs>
2: it's funny that journalists are even worse than the lawyers now. Uh, but then I, I own my own business now. And then when they asked uh, what kind of business, I said a media company. And if they pressed one more time, then I would say poker media. And only one or two people gave me that stink eye. Uh, oh, so most people ask, "Hey, that sounds fun," or "It's not my thing," but that's great. So, um, so that, that's been uh, a positive development as well.
0: Well, you said it was a friendly election, you know, that, yeah. but now that they've lost to you, next time around in a year or whatever, eight months, that you never know they might be like <laughs> this guy once check raised his business partner in a limit hold'em game. <laughs> he
2: deserves to oh uh,
0: true lose his uh, seat,
2: but I would say the hardest part of this was not uh, voters, it was my Facebook friends
0: no, I believe it
2: because they all think it's really funny to make comments about bringing a casino to my city or you know when you're gonna have a uh, home game at the uh, city hall or something like that, <laughs> oh jeez, and I have to like you know i you know obviously I'm a fun loving guy, and I enjoy those kind of comments, and I know they're all meant in good fun, but I had to. Reach out to a number of them and say, "Hey, you know, I'm running for election here." And uh, while I get your humor, uh, there are voters that may not.
0: Get yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Can you not make those kind of jokes? Um, and they continued all the way up an election night after I won.
0: Oh, jeez. <laughs> you
2: know, you know, so, but well, uh, you know, so that that was that was the harder part. I mean, it wasn't really dealing with voters; it was trying to get friends to realize that this was a
0: serious thing. A serious thing. Yeah. And oh man treated as such, so, but, anyhow. Well, congratulations, buddy! Thank you, appreciate it very much. Finally, I'm a part of a winning campaign, I'm <laughs> so happy to donate to you, and and you won.
2: <laughs> well, you to donate to me, because you know you're going to get a cool shirt that you can
0: wear. Yeah, and boy, boy, have I worn the hell out of that shirt. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you have, boy, I've been wearing it, like, two weeks, <laughs> I went down to the, the local coffee shop, where I had my, uh, uh party, that, uh, election night, and, uh, uh, you know I told her that I went back the day after it and make sure she was still alive because she opened up late for us that night and everything I had to get up early come in and actually do a real business selling coffee right yeah yeah and uh, uh, I'm like, you know hey, uh, did you even recognize me without my Scott law Commission t-shirt on? <laughs> because anytime I went anywhere in town I put it on and you know I did a little free breeze bottle on <laughs> it for a lot because you know I was doing laundry every other day during the campaign all right. But, There was a day or two there when uh, it was in the second day of the rotation.
0: That's awesome.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's talk about poker now. Uh, Poker room revenue is down 5% year-over-year in Nevada, uh, continuing a steady downward trend from its high mark in 2007. Uh, The state has also lost more than 35 poker rooms and more than 400 poker tables in the past six or seven years. Uh, So how worried are we about this?
0: Well, if they had... Like, only five, ten tables left in the state of Nevada, I'd be worried. Um, that's one thing. Two, if you're doing it from the high mark, well, what were they at the low mark before it became that high mark? So things are starting to settle down to normalcy, it feels like. Everyone wanted to jump on that bandwagon and make it last as long as possible. I don't know. I mean, I'm always concerned about about poker's stability. I mean, that's, that's always something that will eat out a business owner who's directly tied to poker success. Um, but Vegas is always going to be there, and Laughlin's always going to be there, and Reno's always going to be there, and someone's always going to want to play poker when they go to those places. So, I mean, it's it's sad that 35 tables statewide, I mean, not 35 uh, poker rooms statewide and 400 tables, that's, I mean, that is a lot. Um, but, I'm, I mean, I'm not too terribly concerned when I think about the fact that we're nationally... You know, as a magazine and as a product and as a game itself, still probably the most densely populated poker country in the world. So, I don't know. It's a little concerning, but I'm 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 okay with it.
2: Yeah, I think one of the more important things uh, that you mentioned was that um, even though it's on this steady decline that we're seeing now, we're still above, as we said uh, at the beginning here, at the. Um, or higher than we were before the boom. Right. So um, until we get below the boom numbers, I don't know whether uh, we should you know, really be tragically concerned about this. Uh, but it is a concern that uh, it seems to be steadily going off. You know, you know, you have a, like a leak in your toilet at home, right? And mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like a big deal until you get the water bill <laughs> yeah. at the end of the month, right? Yeah. They realize that that slow drip over... 30 days adds up to something. So um, one of the things I always tell folks when they ask about this, you know, when they hear about another poker room closing, there's always, ah, there we go, more evidence, uh, uh, poker's on a decline. But that's not always the case because, you know, if you've got a five-table poker room that closes, but uh, the 60-table room across the street adds 10 tables and becomes 70 tables, then you really lose anything, Right. Right. Now obviously the concern here is that so I'm I'm less concerned about the losing of the 35 poker rooms. Many of them probably are even one or two table rooms to be honest. All right. Um then I am the 400 poker tables. So that that seems like a bigger number. But again, we're talking that over 6 or 7 years, so um
0: It's the revenue that's a little concerning. If it's steadily going down every year and it's 5% this year and it's continuing to do that, that's the part that's concerning. Because even the the tables themselves, how many times have you walked into a poker room and seen every table running? Right, 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 right. So if they realize, you know what, we have never been over 18 tables full in this room ever and we have 25. Let's get rid of those seven and put in slots in that area. Then it's not really, but the percentage of revenue, that's the part that, yeah, you if you're going to be concerned about anything, it's not the overall tables that are gone. It's the revenue. Exactly. Absolutely. So, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm still cautiously optimistic about our future.
2: You know, another thing that I don't think people really, we, ever talk, we don't talk enough about is the fact that the casino gaming and casinos continue to expand into areas they're not in right now. Um, I mean, you mentioned on last week's show that we got another casino coming to Connecticut. You know, we've got another yeah. one uh, proposed in Massachusetts now. Um, you know, we just added this massive one right outside of Washington D.C. Um, and so now you're you're spreading out, making casino gaming more accessible, um, but that becomes more difficult for poker. I mean, it's good for casino revenue right. overall because now you've got somebody that lives ten. Uh, used to be 30 miles from a casino and now they're 10 miles from a casino. They're probably going to be more likely to go play slots than they were before just because of convenience, right? Right. But poker, again, as I tell people all the time, requires at least a couple of people sitting down at the table together. Um, you know, we just did the, that ship inspection for the, our Cuba cruise coming up, any of com, by the way, um, <laughs> information's not there yet, but it will be soon. Um, and, um, so that's what I was explaining to like the onboard staff there that wasn't involved in it, and, um, in casino operations was that, you know, if you've got one person that wants to play blackjack, they're going to be able to sit down and play blackjack, right? Yeah doesn't matter I mean they might want to be more inclined to play and there's more people that are making more fun but the actual game of black jet does not require more than one player and a dealer whereas if you want to play one two no limit hold them, and you sit down as just you and the dealer guess what <laughs> nothing's going to happen so the more options and casinos there are and the more they try to offer poker the harder it is to get poker games together um, and I don't know whether there's really a solution to that uh, but it is a factor in that as well yeah so.
0: yeah yeah huh.
2: All right, here's a uh, kind of a minor thing, but I thought it was interesting to uh, discuss on the show. A uh, dispute between Buffalo Thunder Resort and Casino and the state of New Mexico is starting to affect poker players, albeit in a small way. The tribal casino's compact with the state has expired, and while the state and the casino struggle to reach an agreement on a new one, some vendors, including the maker of the Shuffle Master shuffling machines used in the casino's poker tables, have stopped servicing the casino until a new compact is signed.
0: That's kind of weird. Why? Why would Shuffle Master... Uh, if they're not going to get paid. I mean, why? why
2: do well, they... yeah. I guess the sense is that without a compact, the the casino, in a technical sense, is operating illegally. Oh. Um, now, obviously, no one's trying to shut them down because they're trying to work out a deal to keep it going and all that, but. You know, there is probably a concern on the vendor's part that that could happen or it could be determined that gaming has been illegal in that time, and therefore they're not liable for servicing it. So to be safe, they're just saying, hey, we're going to stay out of this. You give us a call. You guys get all this worked out. We'll be back.
0: Well, they still have dealers that can shuffle, so.
2: Yeah, that's why I said it's a very small difference, you know, obviously, you know, over the course of a poker career you can get a lot more hands in with with shufflers than you are with hand uh dealing um and, and we don't expect this issue to last a long time but you know i think players do get used to coming in and then having a shuffler there and then all of a sudden you come in and you see the uh dealer struggling but the deal that's the other kind of thing is funny right when you see these dealers that are in uh, all shuffle master rooms um you know when they Know, biff a card somehow and then they have to shuffle <laughs> It was yeah. like like oh man have to remember how to shuffle now yeah yeah, we, yeah. They have to do it so um so yeah I, i'd be interested uh over the long term whether it actually becomes a big deal there but it's just more of those irritants i think a poker player when you get used to the shufflers and yeah then you go in and see that it's doll again
0: and then you go into the poker room and you're like okay uh, let's uh, let's play let's bring our home game with us and they say yeah but we're not gonna use a shuffle master for you and we're gonna charge you hourly No no sorry <laughs> no
2: that never happens.
0: that's never happened to us before. hey Pearl River Resort in Choctaw Mississippi will host two Anti up poker Tour series this year. The first the Pearl River Poker uh, spring poker Classic, runs from March 24th to April 2nd with the winner of the main event appearing on the May cover of Andette magazine. And the second, the Pearl River Poker Open to be scheduled this fall. For more information, go to anti dot slash Pearl River. And if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Anti Up in your home area, apply at dot com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in Michigan and North Florida. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call to Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. Comes from Reed Perkins. says, I'm sitting in the eight seat and heads up on the turn against an older gentleman in the two seat. I have two hearts in my hand uh, with second pair. The board has two hearts and two diamonds. I make a strong bet because I think the remaining player is fairly tight. He calls, and the river is an overcard diamond. So now I have 4 to the flush, Uh, and third pair. The other player checks and I decide I'm in a position to steal, so I bet in a way I think makes it look like I have the flush, but he calls. I resign myself to the loss and flip my cards in front of me while saying I don't have the flush. The two-seat squints across the table at my cards and throws his two cards into the muck. The dealer pulls my cards into the middle and slides me the pot. The two-seat leaps to his feet and shouts, you didn't have the flush! I nod and tell him that's what I said. I look at the players next to me, since I'm suddenly afraid I misspoke. They back me up, and dealer agrees I said that I didn't have it. The two-seat is fuming, saying he had me beat, but his cards are pulled into the muck uh, and and irretrievable. I offer to buy him a drink, but he turns me down and says I should give him the whole pot. I tell him that's not happening, and for the rest of the time at the table, he completely kills the mood of the game. We'd been having a good time before then, and after that, anyone who laughed got a sharp glare from this guy. Uh, so did he do anything wrong, and does he have any tips for keeping the table upbeat when there's a player who's uh, like this on it?
2: Um, well, I'm also I'm a little disappointed that the dealer didn't step in here, mm-hmm. uh, because I think a lot of times, this is kind of the reason that we, we go to a casino and we pay a dealer, and we are by tipping the dealer, right? Right is to kind of help make the game fun or at least keep it going right so obviously this player was upset and we understand why um, though it's completely on him <laughs> Yeah. Um, and now he's making it less the, the environment less fun so from a customer service standpoint I think properly trained dealers would recognize that and try to mitigate it either by you know and their conversation with players, keeping it light, or trying to find that. Or, uh, and I've seen this a lot, dealers, you know, letting the guy know, hey, uh, you know, I'm really sorry that this happened, and you're upset, but um, let's get over it um, and move on and have fun, um, and, and try to let him know in a positive way that it'd be nice if he would need some time to go blow off steam, go do it, but let's not do it at the table and affect everybody else's enjoyment because he made a mistake, right? Right. In the absence of that, obviously, then I think um, I, what, I, what I told Reed here is that, uh, one, I think he made an excellent gesture by offering to buy uh, the gentleman a drink and let him know that. Because, I mean, think about how many players would say, hey, really sorry. Snooze you lose. Yeah. Um, so the fact that he at least extended an olive branch, and certainly I don't think anybody would ever say that he's supposed to give this guy the pot without ever seeing the guy's cards, right? Um so but the fact that he on his own decided to buy him a drink though like, you know, hey, just say hey, sorry it happened man, but here. Uh was a very good gesture I thought. Um and you can't be held responsible when the guy turns you down and then becomes a jerk over it, right? right. Um now that doesn't change the, the mood that Reed, Reed is talking about here, but um I would also hope that some of the other players might jump in and, and recognize the mood being changed and offer some lighthearted conversation to get it back on that way. Um, but if not, you know maybe this is a responsibility for our hero here to to try to do that as well too. I mean obviously, that's a tougher situation because now it almost looks like you're trying to deflect the criticism away from you right but you know hey you're you're that's your seat, you're paying money to be there, and uh, you should enjoy it and if someone is making you uncomfortable, obviously you have the option to get up and leave, but that doesn't seem fair, right. right. Um, So, you know, I think you need to almost, in a weird way, ignore him and do what you want to do to make the game more enjoyable for yourself.
0: I just ignore the guy. Uh, You know, here's the deal. One, he also asked if he did anything wrong. No, he did nothing wrong. He said, I don't have the flush, and showed his cards, put his cards up. The dealer moved them over. The guy looked at him. It's not my fault that you can't see the cards or didn't check close enough. And you mucked your cards anyway, so even if you did have the winning hand, you can't prove it now anyway. How do I know you're not lying and said, you had the winning hand, but you didn't really have the winning hand, and now you're just looking for a free pot or something, you know what I mean? There's no way I'm just going to give you my pot, and I didn't do anything wrong. I I said, I don't have the flush, uh, but I have this, and I put my hands up, cards are up, dealer moves them over, you don't look at them carefully enough, or you just squint at them, maybe you're blind, I don't really... You know i can't be responsible for you not being able to see the cards or ask the dealer what does he have it's your responsibility if you're someone who can't see well and you can't sit in the middle for some reason then you need to ask what those cards are before you muck them so i don't owe this guy anything that was very gracious to say look i'm really sorry it worked out this way but let me buy you a drink that's really cool i i probably wouldn't have done that you know i would have said hey i'm sorry that you i would have said i was sorry that you misread my hand when it was clearly face-up and showing you. I'm sorry if your hearing isn't as good either because you're older, maybe, and didn't hear me. You thought I said, I have the flush. Didn't hear the word, don't. But everyone around me is telling you what I said. I told you what I said, and I showed you my cards. If a drink's not going to make you happy, then I'm sorry. You should, you know, take up doing patterns of, of poker cards that Scott currently has a book. Yes, I get a great book. 6 dollars yeah, so, value. There you go. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm not being... You know, uh, horrible here. I, I just, I'm, what else can we do to make this guy happy other than just give him his money that we don't even know if he truly won? How do I know with this horrible vision that he misread his own hand and didn't have my hand beat? I'm just going to give him my my pot. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. But I'm trying to be nice here, and you want nothing to do with it. It's one pot in the grand scheme of things. Grow up. That's what yeah,
2: I'd say. Well, I yeah. Well, and here's the other thing too, and I, and I don't think. Uh, um it looks like our hero was trying to find a non-confrontational way of dealing with this which i appreciate right. but the the lesson to i think um our listeners here is and this is something that drives me crazy all the time um just turn your cards up right yeah i mean i don't know what limits we're playing here but it doesn't seem like we're playing high levels here right, right and right. It, it's always interesting to me uh that people don't want to expose their hands you know they've been told by somebody at some point that you're giving them free information and now they know how you play that hand um and yeah i get that there's some risk involved there but really how serious is your average one two no limit player at a casino right yeah right um, so I I think if you actually were to, I probably brought this up on the show before too if you actually track and it's impossible to really truly track I guess but um, you know I don't know how much how big this pot is but this is a definitive number that this gentleman can point to of money he lost by not showing his cards right yep because he would have turned his cards up the dealer would have read read the hand and gave him the pot and that that money would be him in his stack now without having to demand it from someone who's not going to give it to him. So, you know, again, it's all what you want to do at the poker table. If you decide, hey, Scott, I hear you, but I think I'm better off not showing my cards, um, that's fine. But then you lose the argument that this gentleman's trying to make now. You can't say, oh, hey, I didn't show my cards, but trust me.
0: Yeah.
2: Trust me. Believe me. Believe me. (laughs) So you can't do that. You can't have it both ways. So you no. have to decide which, which risk is the riskier for you. Uh, the risk that showing your, your hand every single time is going to give uh, the players enough information that they're going to beat you out of a pot here or there. Or the risk that uh, you're not paying attention correctly, as was the case here, and you cost yourself a pot by not showing your hand. Right. So your choice, but not my choice. Yeah.
0: Don't feel bad find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been email us at podcast at any magazine.com we'll have hollywood casino toledo director of poker elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled this week's prize is an upgraded membership to poker radius.com poker's best social networking site and home to the anyup group discussions comes from jason elder in scotland he says at the river in a hand in a casino tournament seat two bets and his opponent in seat five said he had an up and down draw and flush draw on the turn and missed he said fold and threw his hand into the muck the player then reached out and picked up the burn cards looked at them and said i'm seeing if i missed it here two players said you cannot do that and the dealer paused briefly before calling the floor the player asked why not no one knew exactly what the ruling was or what the penalty would be The floor said this was not allowed and issued a penalty. In this casino, they do a yellow card, which is a warning, and a red card, which is a three-hand penalty, a second red card, which is an orbit, and any further penalty is exclusion from tournament. This works well as it means uh, changing dealers and floors know what level of violation. In this case, the floor ruled a red card, so a three-hand penalty. Have you seen this? And what would you expect the penalty to be? I love by the okay. way before you read, I love that they they use soccer things. Over yeah, I was scot- going to
2: say before we even get to Elliot, we got yeah. some stuff to talk about. That's right? awesome. First of all, I love that it's seat two and seat five, which is what we just had. <laughs> I didn't right. realize that when I was on right. the show. Yeah. Um. So stay away from those seats because those people can't get along apparently. <laughs> um. And there's mucks involved with this, so very crazy, right? Um. And that. Yes, I absolutely love the football references. Please, Chris, Scotland. Yeah, I
0: know, I know but we're in America,
2: so ugly American. I know for it. But then here's the thing that I, I'm really fascinated. I hope Jason will contact us with uh, one. I, I like what he says that you know the the changing deals and floors know who's been warned and not. I've always thought that was a weakness in how we do things here in the states that you can get a warning. And then you get a new dealer and a new floor, and then no one knows. And now the players saying, "Hey, he's already been warned about that." And then the floor doesn't want to take that person, you know. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But how vicious is poker in Scotland? <laughs> that they have these limits and you know, a three card penalty or three hand penalty now when you get to the second red card. Wow! <laughs> I've always wanted to go to Scotland. Oh, Scotch! I wanted to do a little tour of the uh, the regions and stuff. But now I'm a little... Frightened. It <laughs> Frightened.
0: But yeah, it, it, I just, all I can imagine is the floor running over with a whistle around his neck and standing behind the guy and holding the red card up, you know, in that little abrupt manner that they do in soccer yeah, matches, you know, yeah. and show everybody the red card and then pull out a little pad and write his name down. And uh, that's pretty damn cool. But let's see what Elliot says. And I wonder
2: the floors are dressed in those ridiculous outfits like they
0: make. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was saying, you know, the little black shorts, yeah, a black yeah, shirt, and the terrible. whistle. And that's hilarious.
2: All right, anyhow. So here's what Ellie says. Uh, I have seen similar situations, and I've not been too merciful to these types of offenders. There are some fundamental rules that may have been violated in this situation. Uh, the first fundamental rule is the only cards a player may touch are the cards in their hand. This means that at the other hands of the players, the board cards, the stub of the deck, and the muck are all off limits. No casino or card room can maintain the integrity of its games if players are allowed to grab cards that don't belong to them. This rule is universally applied and understood, rather than written out and displayed. That is how basic and fundamental this rule is. The second rule that was violated was the one-hand-to-one-player rule, when the offender reached out of the muck to hunt rabbits, uh, which, for those of you who don't know, one cards and stuff, um, rabbit hunting being the third rule uh, that was violated we don't know for certain he wasn't searching for his opponent's uncalled and unseen hand right. the protection of secrecy for uncalled winning hands is so basic and fundamental to the game of poker that violating this rule is worthy of instant ejection from the card room for any intentional viewing of an opponent's uncalled hand if any player can't safely discard his hand while keeping his content secret after winning a pot after his bet was not called the game tends to deteriorate very quickly on the other hand, it wasn't clear from your description of the situation that the stub were mingled with the muck, as is fairly traditional. If it wasn't, he just violated the no-rabbit-hunting rule. Abandoned rabbit-hunting was put in place to keep the game from slowing down unnecessarily. In tournament play, the clock keeps running and hands must be dealt. In cash games, the rules in play to keep players from knifing each other over missed bad beat jackpots <laughs> or other types <laughs> of potential missed wins. Very violent call to oh, Florida. Oh, man,
0: I tell you.
2: I would have been inclined to give the offending player a full round penalty rather than just the three hands he was given. Players just can't touch cards that aren't theirs to begin with. Also, he was wasting everybody's time to indulge himself. Uh, these are not very minor transgressions. If, in fact, he was searching for his opponent's cards, I would have had him forfeited out of the tournament and shown to the door.
0: Have you been oh, at a, poker- a poker table where the dealer's pitch didn't reach the other player and you sort of pushed it yeah, to the right. player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you get screwed for that? That's a good
2: question. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean... Uh, i have done that a million I'm times. trying to think I've done that where... W- more case for me is when the dealer is dealing very quickly, right? And then the player on either side of me is just not paying attention or waiting for the deal <laughs> to finish before he grabs the cards, and those cards are, like, close to mine. Yeah. And I don't want him to get confused, so I kind of, like, nudge him a little bit yeah. to, you know, so... Um, but that's a good point. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that.
0: Yeah, I'm, no, I'm curious if we're getting in trouble for that now. Huh. Anyway,
2: that's, that's uh, Slightly different, though. I mean, I get what Nelly is saying, but that is a slightly different issue right, than right. digging through the mock and, hey,
0: hey, I knew you had the flush. But he did say you only want to touch your own card, so I just was curious if right. he said, hey, don't touch those cards, you get a penalty. I'm like, really? Very good point. Actually. I didn't yeah. look at him. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was a real interesting call of four. Very interesting.
2: Oh, the other fun thing, too, is I remember back uh, when my wife used to play with us. I remember one hand very clearly where she bluffed me, and I picked her cards up and looked at her. I'm like, I knew it! I <laughs> threw it down. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you can't do that. And everybody else was like, table oh, yeah. you like, "Yeah," And then I'm like,
0: oh, yeah, you're right. I'm yeah, sorry. That's terrible. And you won the commission seat? Didn't yeah, I uh, well, got all this really dirt, dirt on you me. now. Hey. Yes, He's I a cheater. He's a cheater. Medicine. Yeah, you're... you're uh, you're in trouble next election.
2: that's how serious this is, is that <laughs> even in a home game between a husband and a wife and friends, that people are mortified when you touch the car. Is, so, you're not hey, to do not even think about doing a casino tournament.
0: Yeah, that's hilarious. Hey, we got new
1: O'Malley's Move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week, we're playing a micro-limits home game. 5 cent, 10 cent, no limit hold'em. We're six-handed, and the evening is winding down. Only about a half hour left of play, after playing for two and a half hours. The button straddle is a common occurrence in this game, and is on in this hand. Most players bought in for $20. We currently sit with 25 The blinds post. Since the button straddle is on, action starts on the small blind who folds. The big blind calls, and we're under the gun with the king of spades, queen of hearts. Decent starting hand, six-handed. With the button straddle on, we bump it to 60 cents. The plus one calls, the cutoff folds, the button calls, the big blind calls, and we're going to a flop with four players and $2.40 in the pot. Ugh. The flop comes down, the queen of spades, seven of clubs, tray of hearts. The big blind checks to us. C-betting is usually not good with multiple opponents, but we were the preflop aggressor, and what were we hoping for if not top-second-top? I want to push out as many people as possible here. We make a pot-sized bet of $2.40, leaving us with $22 behind. The plus one calls, but the button and big blind fold. The plus one is new to the game of poker. He's a calling station that'll chase anything and has already made it clear that he is in gamble mode since the night is winding down. He also bets big on the river, whether he's bluffing or value betting. He's got us covered with over $30. There is now $7.20 in the pot, and the turn is the nine of diamonds. Maybe it's a mistake to try keeping the pot small here, but I just don't like this situation. I'd rather check here and keep the pot manageable. Our opponent checks behind. There's still $7.20 in the pot, and the river is the deuce of spades. Again, playing pot management... We check, hoping for a showdown. Our opponent leads out for $5. What's the move?
2: It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Comes uh, from our good friend Mike Pezzi, And uh, he says, uh, I was playing the World Series of Poker Circuit event at Foxwoods. Uh, as Chris says, his old stomping grounds. I mean, it is
0: my old stomping grounds.
2: Do you ever stomp, actually? I've never seen you stomp.
0: All the time, especially when I'm watching Rent.
2: I would love to see you <laughs> walk into a fox with just stomp, stomp,
0: stomp. <laughs> stomp, Rent, they're all the same. Oh, man. All
2: right, 10,000 units uh, starting stack, and they are currently in level 2, uh, which is 5,100, playing seven-handed as table fills up. Uh, I'm sitting with just over the starting stack, and the villain in his hand uh, is sitting with around 8,000. Um in the small blind, the villain is under the gun plus one raises to three fifty. The cutoff calls, and I look down in the small blind at king of clubs king of hearts
0: uh I don't see any reason not to pop it again, right I mean this we um where are we on the button uh small blind oh we're in a small- yeah no I definitely want to raise because i I'm gonna be out of position if I just just call the raise i mean there's a there's a there's obviously sometimes a reason to slow play something like this, depending on the player you're going against. It seems kind of early in this tournament to know it is a type of player. Cash games are one thing when you sit down with the same guys for day in and day out, but if you don't know this player, I generally this early in a tournament I try to feel people out and see what they're what they're like, and play sort of ABC. Um, and in this case, though, I'm going to be out of position if I just call the raise. I, I wouldn't mind just taking this pot down right now since we already have a raise in the. Do we have a raise a call, you said already? Yeah, a raise a call. Yeah, yeah. Kind of so, I mean, there's already 350 out there, plus my blind, plus another blind. I, I'm I'm inclined to make this, like, let's see, three would be, like, a 1,000. So, I'd make, like, 1,500 or so. And wow. Okay. May, maybe something like that, twelve, fifteen hundred, 1,500, and then... I was thinking 1,000, but that's fine. Well, yeah. I mean, here's the deal. If, it, if the raise to 350 and I, no one called, I'd make it 1,000, because that 3x that is already 1,000. But now I've got another caller on top of it. So that makes it like 1350 r- roughly in my mind. So somewhere between 12 and 15, I think I would make it. Because hmm. I got two guys there. I'm trying to get at least one of them out and go heads up with somebody who doesn't have that random ace. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or something. I would
2: take a 1,000 and accomplish the same thing and not risk any more chips. But um, I guess I'm not opposed to it. But uh, we have the same idea here where we've got an early position raiser. We're in the worst position um, with a strong hand that is vulnerable. You know, if an ace comes, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, and I would prefer to be this heads up rather than three-handed, so if the raise, even if the raise accomplishes getting the cutoff out of the way that's a reason to do it, I think. Um, and it may actually win us the pot, too because now the other gun won, it's almost a squeeze situation, right? Even though I'm not sure that's what really we're trying to do here but if the uh, the villain here is worried about the cutoff coming alive now you know, he might get out of the way and cutoff might fold as well, too. We might just win and take our uh, seven, eight hundred yeah, bucks. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. The, the, that that pot's clearly
0: big enough for me to take down level two. Yeah, and be happy
2: a, about it. A less than ten percent bump in our stack without having to see a flop, I would do that every day. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Our hero says, very little to think about here, so we raise to eleven hundred. Yeah, so random. Yeah, in right the gun uh, Undergun re-raises to three thousand and the cutoff folds.
0: See, I'm not the type of guy that... I'm just not... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know it's a, it's a World Series event, so... It's tough to... At this point, the pot's already bloated. If he makes it 3000 and I just call, and I have 10000 basically, you know, I'm risking 30% of my stack to just call, and then what do I do? Check? and then give him control of the hand already because he's taking recontaking taking it and then if, if an ace comes I can get away from it but an ace doesn't we're going to the end with it anyway then so I don't know I mean I'm all for that whole pot control and, and, and stuff it's just in this case pre-flop only one hand beats me I know he's under the gun plus one or whatever but it's just one hand and one hand beats me and it feels like he might have thought that I was squeezing and he didn't believe me he just thought I was trying to you know Get one guy out, and because he didn't believe the call with the raise, so maybe he's saying, "Oh yeah, take this with my queens or my jacks or ace king." Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I could just call here. I'm not folding pre-flop kings unless I'm positive this guy has aces, and there's no way I could be that positive, especially this early in the tournament. And I don't think I'm just going to call. i would calling off the thirty percent of my stack pre-flop, you know. And then what are you going to do? You're going to go to the end with this and call anything if you can check call the rest of the way they, well, it's going to convince you that you're beat. a scary board so i don't know i think i'm just going to get it in i really do i i i'm probably going to get flamed for that but i'm getting it you're in. Shove? yeah
2: right. yeah i think um and this is actually more fascinating than it sounds here cuz now you, before you decide what you want to do in this spot i think you to decide where you're going to do the rest of the hand right yeah So here's the thing. I mean, if you fold now, then obviously you've decided that the hand's over, right? Um, If you call, you need to decide what you're going to do because you're going to be first to act. So obviously, if a king comes on the flop, then yeah, you're golden. You're good to go, right? Um, But that that's two cards that come there, right? So more likely, uh, two scenarios are going to happen. One, an ace is going to come, and at that point, I think you can be pretty confident about Mm -hmm. folding this hand. Mm but then at that point then you have to decide is it worth a third of my stack for that to happen um, if an ace doesn't come or a king, if an ace or king don't come um, now you've got to figure out now what you're going to do because uh, you're right, we can't be confident we have ace ace, but that's a likely scenario and if it comes all unders to us what are you going to do at that point? are you, are you committing to this hand? Or are you not? Um, I really think you're going to make that decision now, because if you're committing those hands, um, I think your two choices are to shove, as you're mentioning, or call the 3,000 and fold if an ace comes, or get it all in if it doesn't.
0: Yeah, you could do the stop and go, where you call and then shove on the flop no matter what comes. That way you've got a chance to scare him out of it. But if he sees that yeah. extra three grand in there and he's only got eight, which started with it, so now he's down to five now. Well, I mean,
2: there's a powerful play there though. Actually, if you think about it, so if you do, if you just call here with the intention of shoving on any non ace flop, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now you've kind of put the pressure on him. Now if he has aces, he's probably going to call. But even if he has aces, now he might. Let's say it's like a jack or a queen comes, maybe right? Right. Now he might think that you, you flopped a set and you might ha you have an option. I mean a possibility there where he might fold aces if you do it that way. Uh, whereas right now, if you shove, he's not folding aces. Right. Very small possibility. But right. um right. It, if if you're gonna get it in one way or the other, I think that is a strong reason just to call here and then shove on any non ace. And if it does, an ace does come. You know, I hate to give away a third of my, my chips here, but I mean, we're at the fifty-one hundred level, and we still have, we'll have seven thousand left to work with here, right? So,
0: no.
2: um, it'll hurt, but uh, it's not fatal. Whereas we shove now, we up against aces, it's fatal, right? Right. So I guess that's why I, I, I think I want to call, and uh, I'm probably going to shove any non ace slot.
0: Yeah, I was I was forgetting that it was fifty-one hundred. I, I knew it was early in the tournament, but I wasn't really sure what the I'm, so the blinds are. So uh, ten, you have ten big blinds for a thousand, so you'd have basically seventy big blinds still. So yeah, it's still super deep. You still have pretty deep. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the stop and go might be fun. It's just it's hard to imagine when the pot's that big that this guy's not going to make a bet. That's going to be for all my chips anyway, or so much more. Well, that's chips what I we're talking fold. about. Now, yeah, we're no, talking about
2: shoving before he has that option. So.
0: Mm. But then again, you just said. You know, we have a ton of chips, so we don't have to play it that way either now. That's yeah, true, too. Of course, he does yeah. bet a bunch. In the, if you check and he bets a bunch, then you're back to where you were, guessing.
2: Yeah, there's no flopper he doesn't bet when we check. Right. right. And so that he... bet now is going to be, I mean, he was started with 8,000.
0: And there's seven in the pot. So
2: he's only got five left. I mean, any bet it's probably is be probably anyway. Yeah. And that's the other thing to keep in mind, too. I mean, no matter what scenario we go, we're not out of this tournament now.
0: Right, right. We, we still have 3,000 left. Or, no, 2,000.
2: And I'm 3, sorry, I, did I mention the cutoff folded after the race? Yeah, I, I assumed we did. But. Yeah, yeah. So um, so we're not out. So, I mean, we're not putting our tournament life at risk here at all. So that is also a bonus. And even that happens. I mean, if, if we lose, get it all in and we lose, we're at 2,000 with uh, 5,100. So we still got 20 big blinds, you know. Mm-hmm. So not a lot of terrible scenarios. No, here.
0: but you have, a, you have a decent stack to shove with a lot too, because they're saying about twenty big blinds now. People start shoving two grand, a decent stack to shove with if you get a decent hand later and yeah. just keep shoving and, and yeah. using your power with that. But all right, now I gotta know what he does.
2: Alright. Uh, let's see. Uh, this type of pattern from that position makes me very worried, as it can often mean ace ace and not looking to get it all pre flopped This early in the tournament, I just call with planned or reassessed post flop. I like the call, but I don't like the reassessing.
0: Yeah, I think a call with a plan already. I think
2: we need to have that plan, so. Alright, the flop comes and right in the window we see the King of Diamonds. And then the Ace of Spades and the Six of Hearts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course we do.
2: If my pre flop read was right, nothing has changed here, and I check to
0: see what he Oh, sorry. Well he's checking, but I, I don't think I'm I think I'm checking too just to see what he does. I I I mean this guy doesn't have like Jack Ten in his hand. You know, we're worried about him making a Broadway on us. I mean, this is... Either he's got queens and he's nervous as hell. Or he's got ace king and he made top two, which is perfect. But I, I don't see me folding now, no matter what. There's no way I'm going to have a set and then think, okay, this guy had a set two. He has to have that one particular hand. I mean, we're calling because it, we don't want to get it all in preflop so early in the tournament, but not because we think we're necessarily beat. And now that we've got the three kings, he has to have that exact one hand for us to be losing... And but he's right. Nothing's really
2: changed here because the only hand that we were worried about preflop was aces and we can't beat that
0: now. Well, no, that uh, that's not necessarily true. He knows more cards that are out now. It's not necessarily that he was admitting the guy has aces because if he admitted the guy has aces, he would have folded preflop. What he wants to see is he wants to see a board. He wants to. He didn't want to just get it all in and be on luck. Now he feels like he's more confident with his hand that he has three kings. and You know I mean? That, that's what I think he might be uh, thinking. Yeah, if you knew the guy had aces, better, he would fold.
2: The other hand could be better as well, too. Right, so but I'm that, saying... That's, is it, that's he, why I agree with him. Nothing's changed
0: here. It's, it, it, but I think it has. I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm just saying, nope. to me, he's got he's three kind of cards. Right, He's got three cards on a flop now. There's only two more to come. We can see how this guy's going to play when he sees those cards. It might give us an inkling of what he's doing. It actually does change in my mind. If he checks behind, or if he makes us you know, there might be the way he bets, the way he looks at the flop. There's all different kinds of things that can happen from this. I think it has changed, even though statistically, if he had aces and we had kings, nothing's changed for us. But yeah, I, I, feel I like guess for more in a semantic uh, discussion yeah, just, now
2: because let's let's say we went not check to see what he does, right? So if he checks behind, I don't think that proves that he doesn't have aces. It proves that he just wants us to catch up, right? Right, uh, or could. Um, and if he bets, then we're, we're going to call, I think. Right. Um, so I, I don't think it really changes what's going to happen here. I mean, there is 7,000 or so in the pot here. This guy's got 5,000 left. If he's got any piece of this, he's shoving here and then we're going to have to make a decision. So, um, you know, and I think at that point, you know, if we, this is why I would have decided beforehand what I was going to do and I'm planning on getting it in anyhow, right. Um, all of, like I said, without a non ace flop, so I guess that changes a little bit. But um...
0: this is why you don't look at the flop when you're going to do stop and go. Yeah, I, I think it's better just to <laughs> jump here just and put the pressure on him. Right? <laughs> and if he has
2: aces, he's going to call, or he's going to. If he has aces, we're getting it in anyhow at some point, right? So uh, yeah. let's just avoid the inevitable and rip the band-aid off and figure it out. But if he has any other kind of combination.
0: See, the thing about not getting it in preflop is if the guy has queens, now there's a chance for him. You're not going to get his money. But if you would got it in preflop, you would have gotten his money.
2: That's you know, I guess that's an argument for checking. Yeah, Let him take a stab at it
0: and see. Yeah. Or for shoving it preflop. And the guy be like, I got queens. I'm not folding my queens because he's not good enough or whatever. And then he calls, and then you've got him dead to rights. So there's a lot of reasons to do both scenarios, I think. It's interesting. This, it, the early part of the tournament is what really dictates your... Yeah. Do you really want to go home... You know, in a cold deck like this, or do you want to say, "Hey, I'm not good enough to fold kings, preflop, and I'm not going to just call and then shove later on some tactical move that, you know, if I had shoved earlier, he would have queens and I would have taken his whole stack. Instead, now I've got a chance to lose all those chips I could have gotten out of him because I didn't shove preflop. So there are pros and cons to both. I still think I like the shove here. You know, I like the shove, and if the guy's got ace king, he's dead. You know, um, I don't know. Twenties, but I, I I don't know. I, I don't think I'm just checking now. I think I'm I think I'm shoving.
1: Hmm. Okay.
2: Um. All right. Well, as we previously mentioned, our hero checks to see what he does, and our opponent checks behind. No. Okay. So, oh, and the turn is the Queen of Clubs. So our board now is King of Diamonds, Ace of Spades, Six of Hearts, Queen of Clubs. In your jack Ten scenario sucks
0: now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's what he has, though. No flushes getting there. Um, not that we, we think this guy... I, this guy's got to have a pair or ace-king. And if he has queens and now he's made his set, I'm still not folding. I'm just not folding a set of kings here. I'm just not. i just not. I, this guy's got aces and he's got a set now. Yeah. He's got queens and he's got a set now good. But I can't check again. All that pre-flop stuff and we're all checking it down? What is this? Yeah, You know, yeah. collusion? So... I don't know. Uh, I would have. I would have gotten rid of all my chips already. So I, I'm. I'm shoving now. Hmm, okay. Because now the guy might think you had Jack Ten too. Maybe he thinks you're crazy. You know who knows. So now Broadway got there that maybe he's afraid of, or maybe he has Ace King and now you've turned a set of Queens and now he's afraid. But he's not going to fold either. I'm just going to get it in. Let's get it in. All right. Sure. Why not?
2: Why not? Uh, all right. Here are checks again, and our opponent bets three thousand. He says, "Is there a chance he has ace king or queen queen here, and not what I am ninety nine percent sure he has, which is ace ace. Maybe, uh, but unlikely. But I just don't have an enemy to lay down my set. I call."
0: Which is weird because we only had how much do we have left.
2: I mean, uh, well, we have more than our opponent, so, so we it's it, like it, weirder is that our opponent only bet three thousand. So.
0: But he only had he only five. Had 5 yeah. Left, I think, so right? he, you know you yeah. can't fold. So why are you? Why even call? Why not just say, "Hey, put your other two grand in," because there's no way you're not betting two on the end. Yeah. And there's no way I'm not calling. If you're not calling, you might as well just put it in. Yeah. Very interesting. Call was yeah. weird too. Okay. Uh,
2: so the river is a blank. He says, "I check again," and the opponent goes all in for his last two thousand-ish chips. Certainly can't lay down now. I call, hoping for one of the two hands I can beat. Alas, he has ace-ace, and we are down to 2,300 chips in less than 40 minutes in.
0: What was he thinking? Why didn't he full (laughs)
2: preflop? Four uh, four levels later, we are out when our jack-jack is all in versus ace-five suit in his flush turn. So my question is this. Is this the type of hand that separates the great players from the rest of us? I was 99.9999% sure he had ace-ace, as all signs pointed to it. The undergun raise, the re-raise pre-flop, the suspicious check post-flop, and the confident turn in river vets. It's somewhere in there, that the great players can lay down their set where most of us just commit to losing with the second-best hand. Since I realized the straight was out there, but pretty sure he wasn't holding Jack 10 the way he was played pre-flop. I think if he had enough chips to put me out of the tournament, I would have found uh, found it in myself to fold nowhere else uh, but on the river, but knowing that I would have had about 20 big blinds left, even if he did have ace-ace, I think had me deciding to go down with the ship is it a leak when you just can't get away from a hand uh, like this, even when you're pretty sure you beat, or is it just poker?
0: It's it's In this day and age, this game, it's really hard to say. I mean, do you have a really uh, good dossier on this player? Is he one of those young guys who can make it seven bets to go? You know, with Ace-7, like I've seen on television, you know, you don't know anymore. You know, it used to be the old TJ thing, that like said said last week, I think, or the week before, the third raise is always Kings or Aces, and yeah. you have the King, so maybe he has King-King in his hand. You know, pre-flop, you don't know that the Ace-King is coming on the flop. So, it's still two hands that could have done that to you, and I, I've seen people do that with Ace-King. I've seen them do it with worse than that. They just don't believe you, and they have position on you the rest of the way, and you know, you mean you, mean you look like a tired person who only has one bullet for this tournament, and the other guy knows he's playing in the next event, and you know, who knows? He's a millionaire. Who knows? There's all these reasons why these guys would play differently. I just don't know if I can fold kings like that. I've done it, but I've done it online. I can't remember doing it live. I've done it online where I fold kings when I just know the guy has aces from the raise and the way it went, and he showed me the aces, but um, I don't know. I we could have just gone conventional and said, yeah, it's 2 early in the tournament, which is but don't show the Kings either. Just lay them down. Um, but, well, I think the
2: Chips really made a uh, play here. I mean, I think I, I wrote back to Mike that, uh, yeah, obviously this is kind of what separates the great players from the rest of us, but um, I also don't think we were 99.99994.9% uh, yeah, sure yet. had aces. I mean, obviously it was a very strong possibility, but there's also a possibility he had something else. Um, but for me, it was the fact that we weren't going to be out of this tournament, so had tw- 20, actually 23 big blinds left if we were wrong, so it's not a reason to throw away a massive part of our stack, but um, I do think on average, recreational players like us um, probably fold too much in these sp- situations, right? Yeah. So to find out for sure, now you've got a, a possibility where you don't want to give up these chips, but you're not going to be out, and you're still have enough play if you are wrong. These are the times that you, I think you need to make those chances and take those chances to find out uh, versus later in the tournament when you make the wrong call here, you're out of the tournament.
0: I agree. I, I, I think that uh, it's so difficult these days to know how people play anymore. And especially in this early in a tournament, when you are level two with somebody, you you can know this player well enough, uh, both personally and the way they play. statistic you know, uh, strategically. I mean, and so laying down kings in a World Series event, yeah, might be a little pressure there because it's a circuit event and and whatnot. Um, but I I just don't see, especially since it escalated to three thousand preflop so early. And you only have ten in your stack, I mean I guess you could say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna be better at this player in the long run. It's one hand, one time, I'm out of position. If I just call and an ace comes, I'm folding in. anyway, so why get rid of those three three thousand, whatever? Um but it's it's tough to argue with the way with the way it turned out. I, I just don't I yeah, just I don't think know you're right mean, it, I mean,
2: uh, Results oriented. The probably the best solution here is for us to fold after we made our eleven hundred raise and we made a three thousand. At that point, you know, now we're like, okay, this guy, it's really screaming aces now. So let's not worry about it. We lost ten percent of our, our stack. We're throwing away a premium hand when we're out of position, and we've got we know we've got bad decisions. or I shouldn't say bad decisions. Tough decisions ahead of us. The rest of this hand. Let's just get out of the way and then get a better idea on what this how this guy plays because that's the other thing. We probably don't know much about this guy, right? Right. Um and that's probably the more disciplined approach that, that we're lacking. I don't think it's the uh folding the all in that's harder at that point. I think the probably the where where it separates the, the great players from the good players is back at that moment. Where we're like, Okay, you know, I know this sounds really tight, but I have a really bad feeling about this hand and let's get out of the way with eleven hundred. We've got another hand being dealt to me in a minute, a second, yeah. Yeah. But that's also easy to say now that we know how it all worked out.
0: But well, I tell you, you just gotta lick your wounds on something like that and just move on. Um, I feel bad for that. That's it's just terrible, but it happens. It happens all the time. And there's all, also happens when the guy has queens there, and you win, you know, or has ace king and you haven't dominated and you win. So it's just it's almost like a coin flip there, and uh, just gotta move on. But hey, you are hand of the week. That's always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table.
1: AntiUp is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206 338 6344 If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com. Or call 727 331 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.